Some of you know this, some of you don't know this. Uh, we, we have a Bible study here on Wednesday nights. Isn't, some of you are like, what? What do you do? Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. we have a Bible study here at the church. Normally it's led by Pastor Dick and he does an incredible job. Uh, but for the next six weeks, Bob Santos is a member of our church and has written a couple of books that we have in our bookstore. One of them is this book, Divine Progression of Grace. Um, but uh, these are available in our bookstore, but he's a member of our church and he's going to be leading the Bible study for the next six weeks. And I would encourage you, if you want to go a little deeper in your walk with God and uh, maybe 2015 is a year you go, you know what, I want to I wanna really begin to grow in my walk. This would be a great way to do that. So 7 p.m. Wednesday nights, the next six weeks, Bob will be doing that. We'd love for you to be a part of that. So come check that out. Also want to let you know, um, my wife will be mentioning this at the end, uh, Dare to Be is coming up, ladies. That's uh, December, December, January 15th. Uh, so we'll be talking about that more in just a little bit. Uh, but then also, I mentioned this last Sunday, but today... Uh, I'm calling on the church corporately, all of us together, to come and, uh, and enter into a 21-day fast together. So for the next three weeks from now until, uh, till, well, January the 25th, it's a Sunday, uh, I'm asking all of us to find something in our lives that we can lay aside. Maybe it's a meal. Uh, maybe you feel led to, to lay aside a certain, maybe you're not going to eat meat. And my, my daughter, she thought that was the worst thing ever. She was like, can we figure out something else besides meat, daddy? And I was like, we'll work on it for you. But uh, um, so I would love for you to just say, God, what would you have me lay aside and, and uh, consecrate myself to you and really try to, to gain some focus in your walk with God? So maybe it's a meal, maybe it's electronics. And I will tell you this, I, I I'm going to be off social media for the next three weeks. So if you get a hold of me, maybe at Facebook or any of those kind of things, I'm not going to be available. So email me. Uh, you can call the church. Those are the easy ways to get a hold of me. Um, but there are several things that I'm just going to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to set these things aside during this time. And I'm just going to focus on God. I'm going to pursue God. Um, because like I said last week, everything we do at the summit begins with prayer. And uh, and I want us to start 2015 correctly. I want us to start it right. And I want to start it with prayer. I want to start it by saying, God, this year is yours. And, and I want to make sure it has nothing to do with me and has everything to do with God. And so this is one of the ways we're going to do that. And I would encourage you uh, to, to just pray about it and say, you know what, maybe it's just a week, maybe it's a day, maybe it's every day. You're going to lay something aside during this time. And when we get to the end, I'm really believing God's going to give some of you incredible breakthrough. That, that God's going to give you some breakthrough, some areas of your life. Maybe some of you weren't even looking for a breakthrough, but God's going to reveal some things to you. And when we get closer to the end of this, we're going to be asking people to share their stories with us. And maybe it's just a, maybe it's just a Facebook message, or maybe it's an email that you let us know, hey, this is what God did in my life during this 21 days, because we're believing God to do incredible things. So please join with us in that while we're, uh, while we're doing that together. Uh, we are starting a series today called Generous. <coughs> Excuse me. And before you get too nervous about... Uh, here comes the hard sales pitch for money. Uh, that is not what the series is about. Um, I've been at churches where our finances were in trouble and the pastor made pleas every week and he, you know, hey, we're going to pass the offering buckets and we're going to count. We might pass them again or, you know, we didn't really do that. But, um, you know, it, there was, they did a lot of high pressure stuff on the church and we don't do that. Some, we don't pass offering buckets or plates around. Uh, we've got the offering boxes at the back of the room. We try to keep it low key because we don't feel like um, th this isn't my church. This is God's church, and God's going to provide for this church, and I don't have to twist your arm to get you to give. And so that's not what this series is about. What this series is about is helping us understand how God views generosity and how it impacts us in our lives, not just financially, because we are going to talk about that, because let's be honest, our finances matter in our lives, don't we? Aren't your finances a big point of stress in your life? Like, how are we going to pay the bills? 
how, how are we going to make ends meet? I mean, a lot of people live that way. Um, if you look at divorce rates, a lot of divorces happen because of finances. So finances and our possessions are a big part of our lives. So we're going to talk about that some. But I want us to have a heart of generosity. I want each of us individually to develop a heart of generosity and to, and to change our world because of that heart. And ultimately, as a church, I want us to be a generous church. And, and I'm believing we're going to give more to missions. We're going to give more to our community this year than ever before. And it's going to be because we love our community. We love the people in our world, and we want to reach them with the message of Jesus Christ so much, it's going to drive us to generosity. So today, what we're going to look at just a little bit is, is God's generosity toward his people and how generous our God really is. Um, when you look at generosity, like I said, a lot of times we think of money and we think of finances, but really, when God looks at generosity, it's so much more than that. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it's interesting because sometimes I hear Christians quote this verse, but they flip it around and say, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. But what Jesus was saying is, our heart follows our treasure. The things we treasure is where our heart goes. Does that make sense? Um, and Jesus was very specific about the way he said that. And the truth is, our treasure matters. The things we treasure matter in this world. But God wants us to be generous. God wants us to be givers. And I don't know... How many football fans we have here? How many football? Any football fans in the place? Are, are, I'm so thankful. The Steelers are a generous football team. They give games away. Did you see that game? They just gave it away. They're like, we don't even want to win this game. God wants us to be generous. He wants us to have that kind of heart. Um, this is the thing. God's love becomes evident to humanity through the generosity of his people. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Dick. God's love becomes flesh to people, becomes tangible to people through the generosity of his church and his people. When we are generous, humanity sees how good God is. And I'm not just talking about your finances. That's part of it. I really believe the Summit Church should be the best tippers in town. When people see us coming, the waiters and waitresses are fighting to, to wait on our tables because they know we're going to tip them well because we are generous. Does that make sense? Now, again, I'm not going to tip somebody well if they're terrible. We ate at a place the other day, and the service was horrible. Horrible. It was just horrible. And, and I'm not going to say where. It wasn't local. Don't worry. Um, but, man, it was terrible. And I wanted so badly to leave zero dollars and be like, now, and you owe me for this meal, lady, but I didn't. But I, I tipped her anyway. But you know what I like to do? I love to leave a big tip for good service and leave an invite card to our church. Now, I don't leave an invite card if I'm not going to tip good, right? <laughs> I've also got some invite cards to Calvary, you know, Calvary Presbyterian. Hey, we would like to invite you to. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's Greystone. That's who I, no, I'm just kidding, too. <laughs> and, and, side note, speaking of other churches, um, I found out this week that Sovereign Grace is changing their name to Saving Grace, and I'm so excited for them. Be praying for them. Be praying for the church. Be praying for the churches in our community. I want to see, I want 2015 to be huge for our church, but I want every church in our community to see lots and lots of people saved at their church. I want God's spirit to move in every church in our community so I can, I can, make jokes about other churches, but I love the churches, I promise, and I'm in a relationship with these guys, and I want to see God move. Um, but, but do me a favor. If you are a terrible driver, take the Summit sticker off your window. Like, I don't want that. 
If the police know our church because they pull you off over so often, like just lose the sticker for me. Help me out. But people understand God's love in the context and through the filter of generosity. When we are generous, then people understand God's love even more. Uh, one of the places we need to start, though, is understanding God and who he is. And, and I can't by any means do that with one message, but let me read this passage of scripture to you. It's in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. It says this. It says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Okay, now I just want you to get a grasp of this. Try to wrap your brain around this. God owns everything. God has dominion and authority over everything. There's not a kingdom in the world that God isn't over. You think that you elected the president, but God is still over that president. You, you think there's a, a person with enough money. Bill Gates is worth $81 billion, and Bill Gates pales in comparison to all that God has. Bill Gates is a beggar compared to what God has. Let me put this into perspective for you. Bill Gates, $81 billion at the end of 2014. <laughs> if he gave $10 to every human being on earth, he would still have over $10 billion. Can you imagine that? If he spent $5 million a day and he lived to be 100 and he spent $5 million a day for the rest of his life, he would still have money left over to give his kids at the end. This guy is banking. He has got lots of money. He's given away $28 billion in his life. $28 billion given away. And he has nothing compared to our God. Our God created and put everything together. He orchestrated it all. The universe is his. Everything. So when we, when we understand generosity and we begin to, to wade into this topic, we have to understand that God is a big God and everything is his. Everything is his. Everything is his. All things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. When we read this verse, we have to understand that all you have and all you enjoy and all you take pleasure in in this world was given to you by God. Amen. Now, not just, it, it's easy again to default back to finances, but remove finances from this equation. I, I like to eat. I mean, come on, right? I'm not, I'm not built like Todd because I like to eat, okay? Um, we're both in the sweater of the month club, this, I guess. That's what we got for Christmas. Um, but I like to eat. And I, before we moved up here from Oklahoma City, I had my list of the best burger joints in Oklahoma City. And there are lots of food places in Oklahoma City. And I have my list of best burger places. Just for the record, it's Tucker's, okay? Tucker's. It's on 23rd Street. Just, just Some of you are making notes. If I'm going to Oklahoma City, it's Tucker's off of 23rd and Broadway, okay? Um, that's where you want to eat. Best onion burgers you'll ever have in your entire life. Now, I love a good hamburger. I love chocolate shakes. Some of you are starting to get annoyed. You're like, yes, brother. You're, like, you're, you're a diehard Presbyterian, but the Spirit's moving on you right now, right? <laughs> I love good food. Now, now think about this for a second. 
Every good food you've ever had, the best ribs, the best steak, the, the best pie, whatever it is, it's got flavor. Do you know why it has flavor? Because our God is generous enough to allow you to enjoy that. Does that make sense? We are not smart enough to concoct these things. God has given them to us. Now, we call it, we call it common grace, that God has allowed humanity to enjoy this. But, but can you tell me, um, okay, let me give you an example. There's this place in, in Fort Worth that my wife and ate. Uh, we ate there a while back for an anniversary. And uh, it was last year, I guess, for our anniversary. We ate there. And uh, they had these mushrooms. And they were so incredible. I mean, I really ate like three dozen of these mushrooms. And they weren't like the tiny baby mushrooms, like sliced up. They were like gigantic mushrooms. And they were so good. And I, I couldn't even eat anymore. I just liked the taste in my mouth. And I was like, but just, uh, let's put more in. Like I was, oh my gosh, they were so good. But who is walking through the forest and goes, look at that thing growing on the ground. I bet that tastes delicious, right? Like nobody, nobody does that. And if you do, you're crazy. <laughs> like who... Who is walking through a barnyard and sees a pig and is like, huh? That looks delicious. No one. But it's delicious. Wrap bacon on anything and it's better, right? You're taking medicine, you're like, I'm wrapping bacon around this pill. Oh my gosh, this medicine's fantastic. I take vitamins every day, wrap them in bacon. They taste better, right? But who does that? Nobody. Nobody looks at a pig and thinks it looks fantastic. But God, in his generosity toward man, says, I'm going to allow you to enjoy food. I'm going to allow you to have this taste and enjoy the sensation. He has graciously given it to us because our God is generous. So remember, think about this. Everything you enjoy in your life, everything that is good in your life, everything that you take pleasure in in your life is because God has given it to you. That's pretty incredible. Now, there are kids in the room, and we won't talk about physical relations between a man and a woman, but God could have made it like so mundane and simple, and he could have done a high five maybe instead. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that because it just transformed the way I watch the NBA now. Um, <laughs> but what did he do? He, he allowed this to be... a an intimate process that can be pleasurable and joyful and bring experiences, right? He didn't have to do that. Why did he do that? Because he loves us and he is generous. And he's given us the ability to engage in these things, to taste these things, to enjoy these things, to see these things because he is generous. Now, like I said, they're called common grace. I talked to a woman recently, um, and if, if this is you, I've got, there's no condemnation at all. But there are, there are women, and we've got a young church, so we have a lot of people having babies, which is great. But I don't understand the women that are like, I'm having my baby natural. Because I feel like the, uh, I feel like the epidural is a common grace. Like God has given us common grace. You don't have to have labor pains anymore. Um, but there is common grace that God has generously given to all of us. Thankfully, I never have to have an epidural for childbirth. But we see this over and over and over again. And what I really want us to take from today is this. Um, I want us to walk out of here understanding or having a better understanding of all that God has given to us and all that we enjoy because 
of God because of his generous love toward us. Uh, because we are very aware of what we don't have. It's funny at Christmas when you've got kids, sometimes they'll let you know, oh yeah, I enjoy, I'm glad I got this, I'm glad I got that, but I didn't get that. I'll take all this back, I don't care, right? Like, you better be happy about these gifts, right? But we, even as adults, we tend to have this mindset of, well, yeah, I've got a great job and my wife loves me, and, but I really wish I had that. My life would be complete if I just, right? And sociologists and psychologists call this silver, silver medal syndrome. And I don't know if you know this, but in a number of surveys that have been done with Olympic medalists, um, gold medal winners are always the happiest. And you'd think silver medal winners would be the next happiest, but they're not. It's actually the bronze. And the reason the bronze medal winners are typically almost as happy as the gold medal winners is they're just happy to have a medal. They're like, man, compared to everybody else, I got in. I got a medal. The silver medalist, though, is plagued with this idea that if he'd just done something a little bit differently, he could have had the gold. So he's got the silver, but he's plagued with this idea that I, I would have been better off if I'd have just had the gold. And so many of us live our lives this way uh, with this acute awareness of what we don't have that I don't want us to walk out of here with that mindset. I want us to walk out of here knowing that our God is generous and he has given us everything and that it's not just about what we have or don't have, but it's about who we have in our lives. When the, the study I read about this silver medal syndrome said it all comes down to expectations and comparison. And this is a trap for us in our lives when it comes to our possessions especially, is many times we fall into this comparison trap. Well, my house is nice, but if I just had that house. My car is nice, but if I just had that car. My, you know, my wife is great, right? <laughs> we want to be careful, but isn't this what happens? You get on Facebook, you see your old girlfriend, and your wife has not been very nice to you today, and that wife would be fantastic. We fall into this comparison trap with the silver medal syndrome, and God says, he doesn't want us to fall into that. So a couple of things I want us to look at today. Number one, uh, we believe in the Trinity here at the Summit Church. We believe that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so I, what we're going to look at just for a few minutes today is how generous God and the Trinity are to us. Um, God is radically generous. Radically generous. He, he's not just generous. He just doesn't leave a bigger tip on, on the bill at the end. He is radically generous. And I read this verse a few weeks ago, and you know it, but I'm gonna read it again to you. It's John 3, 16 through 18. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of of the only Son of God. So what does this verse say? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. And we've heard this before, and that's fantastic. But the love that God had for this world drove him to generosity. This is something that we cannot take apart. Love is always connected to generosity. Always. There's never a time that it's not. If you love someone or something, you are going to extend generosity toward them. It is easy for me to be generous with my girls and with my wife because I love them. It's easy for me to be generous with our staff because I love our staff, right? It's easy to be generous with those people, isn't it? How easy is it to be generous with that um, person you have a rivalry with at work? Maybe the neighbor that's out to get you. They're always calling the city about, you know, you mowed in their yard or whatever it is, and you've got this little thing going on. Is it easy to be generous with them? No, it's hard. 
right? But this is the thing. When we look at this verse, we go, well, Jesus, God loved the world so much that he sent his son. But what we have to understand is it wasn't that simple because we, as sinners, we are in rebellion to God's word for our lives. We are in open rebellion to what God wants for us. So we said, God, we know better than you. And God said, you're an enemy to me, but I'm gonna send my son for you because I love you so much. So God, in his extravagant generosity, doesn't just show his generosity to the people he loves or to the people that it's easy to, but even to his enemies. <laughs> You're like, well, Mel, would you just talk about money? It would be easier than this, right? God extends his generous love to his enemies. That's how extravagantly generous our God is. Because I'm telling you, I could be generous with people I love. You get that person who cuts you off in traffic or gives you the one-winger wave, you know, the one-finger wave, you know what I'm talking about? They're telling you you're number one, but they're not telling you you're number one. It's hard to extend a generous heart and spirit toward those people, isn't it? But God's generosity is radical because it's pointed toward his enemies. It's easy to love and be generous with the people that I love. This is what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. It says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Okay? He, let, me, let me just stop. It says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So the law, when we were living under the law, it's weakened by our flesh. We cannot fulfill the law, right? Because it is weakened by who we are. So God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is a little confusing. Let me, let me just tell you what this says. Let me just break it down. The, the first thing this passage is telling us is, we cannot be good enough in our flesh to fulfill the requirements of the law. We cannot. We lack the ability. You picture the nicest person you know, the best person you know, they fall miserably short of God's righteousness. So they can't fulfill the requirements of the law. So we can look at that and go, oh, that's depressing. Or you can look at that and go, man, that's liberating. Because honestly, that's pretty liberating. Because what that does is it frees us from trying to atone for our own sins by how good we are. Does that make sense? We don't have to just be nice and be nice and be nice and hopefully we'll make it up enough where God owes us and we balance the scale. There is no balancing the scale, okay? There is no paying this off. You can't do it. It's, it's kind of like the guy that um, he works 20 hours a day, he neglects his family, he has no life in order to pay for a mortgage that he doesn't owe, Right? Your mortgage has been paid off. There's no reason to work like a crazy person to pay the mortgage off. Your mortgage has been paid. Does that make sense? Jesus has paid the debt we could never pay. So you can relax a little bit. It's not contingent on you making yourself perfect. It's contingent on you being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I thought you guys would get a little more excited about that. That's okay. So the first thing we see here is we cannot be good enough in our flesh. It cannot happen. It's only through relationship with Jesus. So that is liberating. And the second thing is Jesus has fulfilled all that the law has required for us. There's nothing left that we have to do except be in a relationship with Jesus. And this is the gift that God has given us. This is God's generous heart and spirit toward mankind. 
that we don't have to do a thing. All we have to do is be in a relationship with Jesus. All we have to do is know Jesus in a personal way. And our debt is paid off. Now, I've said this before, but if, if I came in here and announced to you today, hey, listen, everybody in the house for Christmas, we're paying off everybody's mortgage. Like, man, there would be revival in this place. I mean, it would be, it would be like ultra Pentecostal in this place. Like people would be getting weird and I'd have to calm you down a little bit, right? Um, but people would be getting excited. They'd be you know, jumping up and down, like crying, all kinds of stuff would be going on. If I told our students, hey, your school bill's been paid off. You don't owe the, the $1.8 million on your school bill that you owed, right? Like people would be getting excited. The kids would be, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. It's life-changing, right? And what we've just experienced, what we know is that Jesus has paid the debt that we could never pay. And it should instill excitement and passion in us because God has generously given that to us in an extravagant way. This is a big deal. And I love you guys very, very much. I tell you almost every week, I love you more than you know. I truly do. But I don't know that I would give up a daughter for you. Maybe one of them. But I'm not going to tell you which one. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Abby's sitting on the front row. I would not give up my daughters for any of you. It wouldn't happen. I love you, but I don't know that kind of love. But that's how the Father has loved us. While you were an enemy to him, he loved you enough to send his son to die for you. This is extravagant, crazy love that God has for us. God's love for humanity drove him to generosity. Second thing we see is Jesus is generous. John chapter 10, verse 18, it says, this is Jesus talking, says, no one takes it, and he's talking about his life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. What Jesus is saying is, God has called me to lay down my life for humanity, and he's not making me do it. I'm willingly doing it. And he's saying it is my life to lay down. What he's saying is it's my life to give. Sometimes we say things like his life was taken from him on the cross, but his life was not taken. It was given freely. See, when God calls us to do something, God doesn't make us do it. He doesn't manipulate us to get us to do it. We have to choose to do it. And Jesus was the same place. He said, I'm choosing willingly to lay down my life. I'm giving it freely for humanity. God was generous by sending his son, but Jesus was generous in laying down his life and giving his life for us. Again, we are enemies to the cross before we come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and he willingly gave. See, Jesus embraced his role to lay down his life so that he can lean into God's plan for bringing humanity to himself. He said, you know what? This is not what I would choose. In fact, he prayed in the garden, let this cup pass from me. If there's another way, let it go. I, I don't want to do it. But if this is the only way, I'm going to choose to do it. And he did. He willingly laid down his life. In John chapter 12, verse 7, it says this. It says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this. He said, I, I was sent to earth for this very reason. And I'm going to lay down my life for humanity. Matthew chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 25, verse, I'm sorry, verse 20. 
Let me back up. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, it says, But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, but their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. So what he's saying is, in the world, there's a way that leaders lead, and they lead by saying, I'm in control, I'm the boss, I've got authority. And he's saying, you're not going to lead that way. He said, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be First among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Did you, did you hear what that last part said? It said, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus came to give. How would you like if you went to a restaurant and uh, the waitress walks up and says, hey, my name's Julie. Uh, I'm here today to take your money. So if you could give it to me, that'd be great. Like, wait, what? And you're like, go ahead, just bring it on out. And uh, you may or may not get good service, and I may or may not bring your food, but I need your money, give it. And you're like, no, 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 your role is to serve, right? Like, you would put her in your place, and they're, you, need to, you need to bring us some food. That's how this works. You bring us food, and if you do it well, we're going to give you some money on top of the bill. How about that, right? Because she didn't understand her role if she came and said, this is what you're going to do for me, okay? I'm the waitress here, but this is what you're going to do. Have you ever introduced yourself to your waitress? No. Why? Because they're there to serve you, right? Hi, I'm Julie. It's nice to meet you. I'm Mel. I'll be served today. It's nice, right? No, typically you don't do that. Now, I do sometimes because I'm weird and I'm conversational, but most people don't because the role is they're here to serve you, and that's great. But Jesus understood his role. He said, I've come not to be served, but to serve and to lay my, down my life. Sometimes we don't understand our role. Sometimes we think our role is to be served, but it's not to be served. Our role is to serve. Our role is to give. Our role is to be generous. If that is what Jesus' role was, why would my role be any different? How am I so good that I get to float through this life and be served while Jesus is the one serving? It doesn't make sense, but that's how many of us live. We couldn't pay the debt we owed. And Jesus owed nothing, but he willingly gives his life as a payment for humanity. See, what I'm reminded of when I'm reading through this and when walking through this message is that the happiest people I know in my life are the people that live for the happiness of others. The people I know in my life that are the most miserable are the ones that are the most focused on themselves. Think about it. Think about all the relationships you have. Think about the ones that are the most joyful, the ones that are the happiest. And they're the ones who are focused on other people. And then you think about that cranky, miserable person you know, and you know who they are, right? Everybody's got somebody in their mind right now. It might be a family member, it might be a friend or neighbor, coworker, your boss, who knows? But you've got somebody in mind right now. And think about them. They're selfish. They're focused on themselves and what they can get and how they can be served. And that's how this life is. And that's not how we were wired to live. God is extravagantly generous. Jesus is extravagantly generous. And if we want to be joyful, if we want to walk in a way that can impact our world, then we have to embrace their examples for our lives. And say, God, how can I be radically generous? You're like, Mel, I don't even have any money. Like, <laughs> I live paycheck to paycheck. I'm not talking about your finances today. I'm talking about your heart. Where's your heart? 
What's going on in you that would keep you or disqualify you from being radically generous? You know, I, I don't even have time to get into it. The Holy Spirit is generous. This is a whole sermon series. Holy Spirit gives us gifts, spiritual gifts, right? They're not called spiritual jobs. They're called spiritual gifts because he gives them to, to us freely. If you're not familiar with spiritual gifts, you can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Peter 4. Okay, I'll repeat these to you sometime if you want to hear them, if you're not familiar with spiritual gifts. Um, but the truth is, we have a couple of kind of gifts. One is a natural gift. Hey, I, I, I'm naturally talkative and friendly. I like to talk to people. And so there's a natural gifting there. But what happens is when I walk in relationship with Jesus Christ, he redeems those and uses those for his glory. And there's a specific set of spiritual gifts that we see in Scripture that the Holy Spirit gives us. And all of these gifts are used to edify the body and draw unbelievers to him. They're not for us. Every gift you have in your life that the Holy Spirit has given you isn't for you. It's for somebody else. God gives you those gifts in order that so you can serve others with those gifts or bless others or give to others through those gifts. So we see this over and over and over and over in Scripture that God is radically generous toward humanity, better than any of us deserve. I don't care how good you are or how good your mama says you are. You are not good enough to deserve everything God has given you. Neither am I. But God is radically generous. Guys, you can go ahead and come on up. I, I read, um, I like history. And John D. Rockefeller, uh, if, if his finances were translated in today's dollar, would be the wealthiest man that ever lived. Um, he was a multi-millionaire before there were multi-millionaires, really. Um, and he was a Christian. He was a devout Christian. And he said one time he could never, he said, I couldn't have tied off my first million if I hadn't tied off my first paycheck, which was, I think it was $1.35, his first weekly paycheck he got. But he understood generosity, he understood giving. And this is, this is what he said. He said, giving should be entered into in just the same way as investing Giving is investing. This is what John D. Rockefeller said. When I read that, I thought, you know what? That really is more about finances. It's more like tithe. The more I thought about it, I thought, you know what? It's really not. Because every day of our lives, we're investing into things. I'm investing my time. I'm investing my energy. I'm investing my thought life into people, into projects, into ideas, into all kinds of things. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, where am I investing myself? Where am I investing? Not just where am I giving, but where am I investing? Am I investing my time and my energy into the right things? Am I investing um, my, my energy and my time into the right people? Where am I investing myself? It really comes back to my heart. It comes back to my thought life. I just want to ask you, where is your heart when it comes to generosity? When I talk about generosity and I talk about how generous God is toward us, you recoil at that? Or do you lean into that? Do you embrace that and go, okay, I want to I be like that? And there's no condemnation either way. But the truth is, God is generous and he wants us to be like him. And the way we become like him is to start acting like him. Start living generously. Start making different choices. Ask God to change our heart. That's the way it happens. It doesn't happen magically when we pray, okay, God, help me win the lotto and then I'm going to be generous. No. 
if you're not generous with ten dollars in your pocket, you're not going to be generous with ten million lotto. It's not going to happen. So I'm going to pray today that God will help us have a generous spirit, not just in our finances, but in our heart, that we're going to treat people generously. We're going to extend grace when grace isn't deserved. We're going to extend mercy when it's really difficult. And we're going to love people well, because love is what begins generosity, what starts generosity. If there's no love, that generosity is hard. But as we begin to pray, God, give me a love for the people around me, even my enemies. It's going to be easier and easier and easier for us to extend generosity, radical generosity to those people around us. Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for your generous hearts toward us. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave. So what I'm asking today, that we wouldn't just see your heart of generosity toward us. We wouldn't just understand it or perceive it. But God, let us know it in our hearts. Let us understand it in our hearts. God, I pray that as we leave here today, we would leave here with a heart of generosity. Let us leave here differently than we came in. God, let us be focused on others. Let us be focused on the concerns and the needs of those around us and not just ourselves. God, have your way with us in these next few minutes. If you would keep your head bowed and your eyes closed if you're here today, you say, Mel, you know what? I don't know that generosity, but the reason I don't is because I don't know that I really have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know that I really know God. And I want to today. I want to have that heart of generosity, but I want to know him. And if that's you, what better way to start the new year than to start in a relationship with Jesus Christ and get things right with God? If you're here today and you say, that's me, pray for me. Would you just put your hand up and let me pray for you? I'm not going to call you up and embarrass you. Thank you, ma'am, over here on my left. Thank you over here on my right. I see you, ma'am, on the aisle. You can put your hand down. Who else says, that's me? You'll join these that have said, pray for me. Few more seconds. Anybody else? Say pray for me, Mel. That's me. Thank you back here by the camera. I see you, man. Awesome. Okay, I want everybody in this room to repeat this prayer after me, whether you raised your hand or not. Everybody in the place, repeat this prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today, I give my life to you. I'm never going to go back to my old life. Thank you for loving me when I was your enemy. I'm gonna walk with you to the best of my ability for the rest of my life. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we give God a round of applause for what he did in this place? Thank you, Lord. Now listen, if you raised your hand and said, that's me, uh, pray for me. Um, I need to get some things right with God. This is what I would like you to do. Before you leave today, there's a card in that seat back in front of you. It's a prayer card. And if you would, take that prayer card out and you can flip it over. On the back side, it has a response part. And you can just let us know, hey, this is my name. This is what I decided to do today. I rededicated my life or I've decided to follow Jesus, whatever it is. And just fill that information out for us. And this isn't so we can keep track of you necessarily, but what it does is it allows us to follow up with you and say, hey, here's what your next step is. Because we want to create disciples and followers of Jesus, not just people who make a decision. So I'm so grateful that you have said, I'm making a decision for Jesus today. But we want, to, want you to take that next step. We want you to walk with God. And so what we want to do is just let you know what your next step is and what some of your options are and how we can come alongside you. So if you would, please fill that card out before you leave. You can drop it in one of the offering boxes as you're walking out. Just drop it in there and let us know about it. And I'll be in contact with you in the next few days. So thank you for that. 
we're gonna go back into one more song of worship together. And while we're worshiping together, let's reflect on God's generosity toward us, his, his radical generosity in our lives. And if you need prayer of any kind, our prayer team is here. They're available to pray with you today. They're gonna to be on either side of the stage. So if you need prayer in this house, then as we're singing, you come forward and let us pray with you. If you feel uncomfortable with that for whatever reason, you can fill out that prayer card and drop it in one of our offering boxes. Or you can email us at prayer at summittogether.com. Let us know about your prayer need and we're going to agree with you over your need. So why don't you stand to your feet and let's worship together.